Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis from Archer Gale and Chartered Accountants, and you're listening to our brand new podcast series, Building Your Business. We've launched this podcast series to help simplify some of the complex challenges that occur when owning and operating a business and to assist business owners to better understand the inner workings of their organization, regardless of which industry you operate within. Every month, we'll be releasing a new episode featuring guests from industry, as well as Archer Gallen directors Ian Walker and Smiljan Jankovic to provide their commentary on a variety of business and commerce topics, alongside expertise surrounding accounting, taxation, business strategy, and business management issues. Welcome to our podcast series, Building Your Business. Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Lewis and you're listening to Building Your Business, the official podcast series presented by Archer Gowell and Chartered Accountants. Alongside me for today's episode is Ian Walker, Managing Director of Archer Gowell and Chartered Accountants, and together we're joined by special guest Michael Finland, Founder and CEO of Vantage Performance. For the episode, I'll hand over to Ian as together he and Michael discuss how SME businesses can begin the process of business recovery and addressing the critical challenges of building business resilience in a post-pandemic world. Additionally, each will cover a variety of topics, including profit improvement, rapid growth, and safe harbour protections. As some background, Michael is the founder and CEO of Vantage Performance, a leading national corporate turnaround firm based in Brisbane. Holding over 25 years' experience as a turnaround specialist, Michael has helped SME and large businesses to solve critical business challenges in order to create stronger, more resilient organisations. In 2005, Michael established Vantage Performance and under his leadership, the firm has successfully completed over 150 engagements with a turnaround success rate of 90%, saving 17,000 jobs. The firm has also won 14 Turnaround of the Year awards presented by the Turnaround Management Association. Alongside his senior leadership role with Vantage, Michael also holds various advisory board member positions with local and international organisations and he himself has been a past recipient of the Australasian Turnaround Management Professional of the Year Award. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. Good one. Well, thanks, Michael, for coming in. We are going to talk about quite a few topics which are very relevant, I think, in today's economic, both macro and micro. Um, our first topic I want to talk about is, I think, whatever whatever is on everyone's mind, and that is, are we actually in a recovery phase yet. Mm. Uh, we've all sat down over the last couple of months with our strategy teams and advisors and, and tried to come up with a plan as to how to first get through hibernation. And then now that uh, some of the states and some of the industries are opening up, what are our abilities to uh, move forward? So first question for yourself being at the cold face of all of this is, are we in a recovery, is there green shoots or are we still in a state of hibernation? I mean, um, broadly speaking, we're still, as an economy, still in, in hibernation uh, in, by and large. I mean, there are certain industries that have actually done quite well through this through this process. So, you know, they haven't missed a beat and we've, we've got some clients, fortunately, that, that have actually grown through this period, um, but others obviously severely impacted. Um, but it, it's really industry by industry answer is issue. If you're in and around construction, road management, you know, those industries have done pretty well because a lot of their services have been required to to actually man the, the, the road closures and all sorts of things. So some of those industries have actually done quite well, but um, we won't really see the, the broad economic uplift until 
we get through to September, October and, and see how we go through the Christmas period. So then when you are talking with clients around strategy, how are you advising them about different restrictions state by state, industry by industry, because no doubt supply chains are across different industries. Mm. And then also, I suppose, with the office openings, um, people wanting to come back, not come back, and and how does that affect the uh, collaboration of strategy that people need to put in place? Yeah, I mean, we, we sort of broadly have broken down this recovery phase into three phases. So that first phase is, is that th- first three months, March, April, May, and, and effectively June. And that from all of our anecdotal evidence and, and what we've seen with our clients and, and discussions with financiers, etc. a lot of the, the stimulus that we saw has given businesses sort of a two or three month free kick. You know, substantial support from financiers. They had a bit of a social license with the government, if you like, you know, on the back of their um, you know, $90 billion um, stimulus package or, or bank stock package. That came with a social license to do whatever they could to get businesses through that first three to six months. So we've seen that roll out. The ATA has been very, very supportive with moratoriums and, and you know, pushing out lodgement dates and, and the like. But that that first phase, you know, is about a three-month working capital buffer or free kick that that uh, is effectively running out of around about now. So a lot of businesses, um, that, that that'll be all that they'll get. Um, and a lot of businesses that were coming into this in a weakened position aren't going to survive this process. Uh, but that's one thing for certain. We haven't seen those collapses yet because the ATO have, have you know, effectively given a moratorium on wind-ups, DBMs, workers' comp as well. Banks haven't been appointing receivers, etc. And JobKeeper's kept a lot of them going momentarily. But a lot of those businesses um, that were coming into this in a weakened condition and, and may have only dropped by 15 or 20% revenue, but that'll be enough to set them below, below break-even from a cash point of view, and they won't get JobKeeper. So you're going to see that first wave that already effectively stopped trading in the main. But you haven't seen them come through on the insolvency stats yet because with the moratorium on wind-ups and stat demands until September, no one's actually forced them into VA or liquidation. So that's the first phase that we see, um, that we're coming to the end of now. The next phase is going to be that next round of negotiations that you're going to have with your stakeholders because um, all, the, all the support mechanisms most businesses got gone through that first three months. Now, there's the next round of negotiations with landlords because most landlords gave you three months or 50% rent. They didn't give you the six months, uh, certainly in the commercial space. So you've got this next round of bank negotiations coming up. Arguably, has their social license come to an end now with the government around the support package because they've got their own balance sheets to, to start to worry about. Um, so you've got negotiations with banks coming up again. You've got the next round of creditor negotiations and moratoriums and landlord uh, negotiations. And they're going to be tougher than the first round. Everyone basically came to the party in that first round. The second round, between now and September, is going to be the uh, sort of the, the most difficult period. Uh, and then that period from September, when a lot of these mechanisms are finishing, particularly wind up the ability to issue uh, stat demands, job keepers finishing then at this stage at least, um, and, and the tax office, probably uh, their, their stimulus package will, will sort of finish by then as well. So that third phase is going to be getting from September through to February and through the critical Christmas trading period. And that's where a lot of businesses, we won't really know the impact of, of COVID until we get to, to, to February next year. That, that's when... Because coming on the back of September, when a lot of those initiatives finish or ramp up, um, how much disposable income is going to be in the economy um, to, to actually spend on Christmas uh, and that typical trading period where most retailers make 
60, 70% of their profit, as we know, through that critical period. So we don't really know how much disposable income is going to be around, but you know, with a whole bunch of stat demands expiring in October, November, a lot of the stimulus packages finishing around then, you know, uh, it could be quite a, quite a bleak Christmas, unfortunately, but we won't really know until February. So you touched on quite a few different stakeholders mm. um, in that comment with respect to uh, boards and bankers and, and mm. customers and supply chain. How are you finding uh, managing each of those individual expectations um, of those stakeholders when you're now talking with um, your clients, mm. especially with um, you know priorities and, and different timeframes, um, and especially landlords being one of those. Um, how is the conversation going there? And and you mentioned Feb next year. Mm. Are we even able to have clarity to go out that far on our strategies? Mm. The the irony, I guess, in some respect, is that the way we're approaching this and. The, is, this is this is no different to any typical turnaround engagement in terms of um, how to manage the key stakeholders in the business. I mean, it's, they're still fundamentally wanting to know that is there a viable business here? Yes, you might have a, a period where we're going to limp through, but you know, is there still a viable business model uh, or was it not viable going into this process? So you're having to be a little bit more aggressive and, and show a bunch of different scenarios to financiers to show them what if, what if, what if. Because... It's getting easier to, to forecast now. Six weeks ago, and it was only six weeks ago, it already feels like a year ago, but six years ago, six months ago, I should say, uh, six weeks ago, I should say, um, the, the ability to forecast was harder because we didn't know when we were going to be opening up state by state. That's becoming easier, and um, so it's easier to give the financiers particularly a bit of comfort around what does that ramp up look like from a working capital point of view? I mean, financiers aren't, aren't worried about profit nor boards at the moment. This is all about survival and it's all about cash flow. So, I mean, one of the key reasons why we've had so much success over the years is is our, our model around turnarounds. And part of that is, I've said this all the way along, the turnarounds, 25% financial restructuring, 25% operational, 50% of stakeholder management. And that's why most turnarounds fail is there's, there's insufficient focus on that stakeholder management piece. You've got to spend at least 50% on a typical turnaround, which what most businesses are going through right now, right? Uh, it's, it's been caused by a black swan event, but they're all going through a turnaround, except for that 5% of those industries that are doing quite well through this process. So that's that's the key to the gig through this process is that really aggressive stakeholder management and knowing um, what the desired outcome of each of those stakeholders is. Because not every... You know, you might have five financiers in, in, in a company. Not everyone has the same outcome or the same desired outcome. So being able to know and read and, and, and negotiate with them what is their desired outcome through this process and then having a plan that's going to suit each of those different stakeholders. Uh, landlords, you know, we've got uh, you know, one, one, one existed group where one of the one of the sites they operate on, um, that landlord actually wants wants them out in about 12, 18 months' time because they want to redevelop the site. We've actually been able to restructure their, their, their lease uh, obligations to actually suit. So we said we're actually happy to vacate from that if we can get a pretty pretty good lease negotiated on the way through, because we actually think we want to exit that site anyway. So, but again, you know, other landlords will desperately want you to stay. So being able to kind of know you know, the stakeholder on the other side of the fence and know exactly what their desired outcome is is, is going to be key to keeping them all together on the way through this, but can't underestimate enough. Stakeholder management, critically important normally, but even more so through this process because 
the banks are effectively going to be picking winners. Which ones do we think are going to survive this? They know that there's a bunch that won't survive. So what are you doing? Like, like you know, we talked about, you know, I've talked before about you know, how do you present a business to ensure it gets the finance versus another competitor who is also going out for finance. It's the same sort of process here. Uh, the banks are looking for those that are going to be the most viable, and which ones do they back? They've all given them support for the first three months, maybe six, but that support isn't isn't enduring. Uh, you're going to have to prove that your business model is, is, is viable, and why should your your business get the next round of support, even if it's just a moratorium on repayments or covenant waivers, whatever? Um, you know, why why do we back you over the half a dozen or a dozen or so competitors that are also asking for the same support? Because they're not all going to survive. Yeah, that's a very good point. So that probably leads us on the way our sort of second topic around building the business resilience. So mm. we're now assuming that we are going to fight through this hibernation, come out the other side a better and stronger business. Mm. How do we now then start from a strategy perspective looking at how we can make our business model sustainable? Yeah. We've all heard to death the cliche of pivoting. Um, <laughs> Perhaps it's it's not quite a pivot. Perhaps it's something a little bit different. But how how do you then talk to your clients around you know reinforcing their strong positions if they've got one? How to mm. I suppose inflate where they could be now into a stronger business model and, and put in some sustainable mode around the business itself. Yeah, I mean, another phrase which is also wearing a bit thin is that whole you know never waste a good crisis, right? <laughs> and, and but, it, but it's That's it's right. right. Yeah, um, you know, another part of our um, business model around turnarounds, which is so critical, is is there always has to be one to two big changes in the strategy for a business to, to, to survive a turnaround. Very rarely is it, is it a temporary liquidity issue. You know, talking maybe five percent, maybe is, is just a temporary liquidity issue. So, so those businesses that are either still trading aggressively through this process or are in some form of hibernation. Are using this time to actually assess their business model, as we talked about before. The banks and or investors, if you're listed, are going to be looking at which which who are going to be the winners through this process, and and those are more likely to be the boards and management teams that are using this time to critically assess their business model. How do we, uh, you know, what are those one or two big changes in the strategy that we're going to need to to do to change and adapt to a, a changing environment, or for the for the, the rap, you know, rapid uptick that's going to come on some industries. Uh, such as construction, anything around infrastructure, clearly from a state and federal point of view, is going to get a massive windfall. And all those businesses, if, if they still have very heavy balance sheets uh, or they're not ready for it, aren't going to be able to take advantage of that uptick, whereas others are, are, going, to, are going to fly through that. So um, that's, that's you know, from a strategy point of view, I mean, you've got your in the typical turnaround sense, you've got that first 100-day working capital stabilisation uh, process. Then it's how, do we, how are we going to restructure our balance sheet um, and while you're doing that, what, what are those one or two big changes in strategy um, to, to represent yourself in a different light? Um, so you can be, you know, when a bank is shuffling different, different you know, clients and, and loan requests and, and, and whatever, what's going to make you compelling to stand out from the crowd? So it even comes back into you know, uh, your marketing strategy and, and your PR, your comms, what is, what is your brand? Um, and, how is that? How are you going to reposition yourself to be more bankable? And, and can you demonstrate that you're ready for the uptick, or are you still scrambling and, and, and still not? You, know, you, you duck it down. You've got job keeper. You're surviving, but 
you're not using this time to actually work out how you're going to emerge from this. So the smarter ones have already done that, or they're, or they're rapidly doing it now, and they've got not only their stabilisation plan done, but they've got the ramp up, the ramp up plan done as well. So let's um, let's talk about, I suppose, a ramp up plan. Let's let's go the glass half full. We've got a we've got a strategy for a client that is in a rapid growth. Mm. Uh, mode um, or they see it coming shortly as we've mentioned with respect to infrastructure there might be some other industries that are going to be doing it as well mm. um, what are the strategies and and I suppose the uh, pitfalls mm. and therefore some of the uh, protection that a rapid growth business will look for because a lot of people always say that the top line growth is the most important thing we'll probably <laughs> talk about that a bit later as well but what what is a rapid growth business need to maintain its its profitability and sustainability? Yeah, I think one of the stats I often use is that and, and one third of all of our turnarounds that we do every year are actually rapid growth businesses. They outgrow their uh, their infrastructure and they get into cap into a cash crunch. Uh, and if you don't address it quickly, it then turns into a systemic issue, and then you end up in that down spiral. So it's quite easy for rapid growth businesses to to get into real financial strife. Because um, what typically happens is they outgrow their systems, their people, and their infrastructure, uh, particularly their, their financial and capital facilities, because they don't understand it. They just say they, they focus on the top line, uh, they sacrifice margin just for top line growth, um, and they don't realise that the faster we grow, the, the quicker we're going out the back door. And uh, so those those businesses that uh, are either have continued growing quickly through this or about to sort of reopen and we'll, we'll go from zero to 100, right? Um, having a really firm handle on what are the right working capital facilities to have in this business for this next six to 12 months. And it might be totally different to what you had before, before the pandemic hit. Um, and the, the biggest risk here is you might be fortunate enough to take on lots of revenue, but what are your facilities structured in a way that you can cater for day to day blowing out from 60 to 120? Because you might be doing lots of work, but your customers may not have their finance facilities uh, restructured in a way that's going to free up their working capital. So you end up actually growing quickly but dying on the vine because your day to day is blowout. So, a simple solution to that in many respects is switching from overdraft to an invoice finance type facility that you can, you can still access that, that, those invoices as you grow quickly. I think you're going to see a huge, huge increase in that. That whole industry is quiet at the moment because most of their clients aren't trading much, so their their loan books are actually dropping. But there's a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines in that whole invoice finance, debt of finance space, but also the mezzanine space. I think you're going to see the big four banks, five banks, etc., um, be a bit cautious in providing fresh lending. They're all supporting existing clients, but uh, there is a lot of money sitting on the sidelines in that mezzanine space and the invoice finance space, that's going to, you're going to be able to tap that. Again, you need to, you need to have that, um, that one-page strap plan. You've got to be able to identify, have your three-way forecast, your 100-day ramp-up plan as opposed to your 100-day stabilisation plan, um, and have a really defined uh, strategy so you can tap into that capital and then you'll end up actually taking market share off your competitors we haven't used this last three months to actually work out what are those one or two big changes in strategy to reposition ourselves. Uh, they've still got the same facilities in place. They've just pushed it down the road. They haven't looked at their supply chain. They haven't looked at uh, rationalizing their supply chain um, to, to free up better terms of supplies as well. And that's usually one of the 
the obvious low hanging fruit uh, here is that they'll end up they'll have five suppliers for one particular key ingredient that you that you that you buy or manufacture or whatever. Then you roll that across the entire supply chain. There's there's always extra terms you can get to if you, if you go to them and say we're going to we're going to rationalise from five five suppliers to two. Do you want to be um, you know, one of those two suppliers left for that particular product we buy? Uh, your your volume's going to double, but so we either want better pricing or better terms. So I think in this climate, pricing's not going to be the bill. It's going to be terms. Can you negotiate 120 day terms or 90 day terms for your suppliers? In exchange for giving them higher volume, if they've got that extra volume, they'll be able to go and get better flexible finance facilities to better fund that. So I think that's where you're going to see. Whereas normally you go price, or price first, and maybe some better terms. In this next six twelve months, it's all going to be about terms. So there's going to be a lot of supply chain, um, and that needs to be part of your ramp up strategy, right? You should be actually doing that right now. Is, is, is there room to negotiate better terms with our suppliers and, and you know, giving them extra volume because you're, you're rationalising the supply chain? Is always a perfect. Because sort of, you're going to them with a solution. We can help you grow, but we just need better terms. We'll work with you to actually uh, give you a, a contract, a, a long-term contract or something, so you can then go get better financial terms for your financiers on the back of it. So they're, they're going to be the ones that actually take market share off, off those competitors that are still sitting, sitting there right now with their head spinning because they actually don't know what to do. They're not thinking about those one or two big changes. They haven't uh, aggressively managed their working capital on the way through. They're not ready for the next round of aggressive working capital negotiations that are coming up. And, and you've got to be prepared to think differently. You know? uh, are you prepared to give key suppliers um, press shares in the business, uh, you know, convert you know, debt to equity, depending on the, the size and, and nature of your business? Um, think really creatively as to how you're going to resolve those, those balance sheet issues. And, and unfortunately, only 5 to 10% of businesses will be thinking like that. So could the other 80% of businesses be in, unfortunately, in the glass half-empty position where mm. they're conserving as much cash as they can, they're not quite sure, yep. A, what their industry is doing, mm. um, and we've probably seen that a little bit in the tourism and hospitality yep. trades as well, some yep. retail as well, if they hadn't got their online strategy done in the last few years. Yep. But if we're, in the, if we're in that category where you know our revenue growth picture is, is blurred um, mm. or is diminished somewhat by the current circumstances. You know, we all know that cash is king and, and, and for those businesses, it's probably every other card in the deck as well. But mm. what should what should those clients uh, be looking for uh, when they sit down and, and try to do their one-page ramp up, if, if mm. possible at all? You know, are they looking at, at a greater market share in a market that doesn't exist? We just said price is going to be difficult, mm. cost slashing. We can only go so far before yeah. we start taking muscle out of a of, of a of a business. What what should those uh, clients be trying to achieve uh, from their business sustainability perspective? Yeah, the key to this is, and it's the same as any typical turnaround situation. You need to have the Plan B or Plan C. So, whenever a business is, and we say this when businesses are travelling okay, the economy might be showing some, some weak signs, but they might be travelling okay. Is what is their backup plan? Um, every business should always have. What happens if you know, stress? Not stress testing, but what happens if revenue was to drop twenty percent or thirty percent? Um, what would that plan look like? Okay, um, would you tap equity? Would you would you convert debt to equity? Would you would you have you got the ability to go borrow? Would you sell an encore asset? 
um, uh, would you look at a distressed merger with another player? You're going to see a lot of distressed M&A uh, over the next six months as a way to survive because they might have already tapped out their equity position. Uh, they, may, they may not be able to actually borrow uh, funding but through through mergers where you can then take that whole bunch of cost out. That might be how, how two businesses survive and actually come stronger through this process. So there's going to be a lot of distressed M&A. So, but, but if you've done your stress test, um, Prior to COVID or during this last three months, we talked about those smart ones have done this this planning. Um, so it's slightly different here is when do we open up? So is it June? Is it August? Is it September? Is it is it further down the track? They've already done those three or four different scenarios and have have already worked out in advance what are those initiatives they would roll out. So when when each you know, whatever one it is becomes the most viable one because you're there. They've already got those initiatives to roll out straight away. They don't then spend the next four to six weeks trying to work out what to do, which could be the most valuable time and, and then never get that back. So I think the key now is to do those sort of three different scenarios on where does revenue come back. And, and what we're finding across our, our client base is that 20% down seems to be from discussions with their client base, um, with suppliers um, and other, other industry sources, that seems to be the, the medium where, where we're going to probably re-emerge from this. It's just then a matter of when. And and when, just because you've got JobKeeper keeping it at the moment for most businesses, um, you know, when isn't, isn't so bad because you've got your workforce effectively covered, albeit you know, on, a pared back, uh, on a pared back basis. So the when does it happen then impacts on your working capital. But, but from a revenue point of view, modelling around at least a 20% down model and then maybe 30 uh, and then work out now what does that what, what does our plan look like as to before you might you might have you know, at that level you might have taken out all the costs you can take out and that's not enough then you then switch to okay uh, can we sell the business if we can you're not going to get anything for it you know who, who, who is the most logical fit for us to merge with who's also in the same sort of situation whereas as I said before you can take a whole bunch of costs out when you merge for a lot of them, that, that'll be how they actually survive this, through this process. But you won't get that line of sight until you've done those two or three different scenarios and then worked out, well, okay, scenario one, we can do all this, we can cut costs, we can we can furlough staff, we can we can you know, cut costs and do supply chain, we can negotiate better better terms with our, with our financials, we can sell non-core assets uh, or sell a division, whatever it might be. Um, that's that's going to be... Plan A, if you like, twenty percent down, most likely, unless you're in one of those lucky industries. And then, you know, options two and three are going to be you know, how far below water do you, do you get to? We then have to think about other strategic options, not just cost cutting, but simple distressed M and A, sale of business, uh, or or what we're going to see. There's going to be a lot of strategically um, done voluntary administrations. Where through this process, um, you're going to see situation where VA uh, is not going to have the same stigma as it once did because there are going to be such a, a huge proportion of businesses go through VA that and we're seeing this already with some discussions with boards going now that as a potential last resort if plan A and B doesn't work we can actually use this time to do a controlled VA where the business does actually emerge from it because you can do a lot of the pre pre VA planning um, and it won't have the stigma, and you're going to have a lot more support from tax, from financiers, and from trade creditors, because you you can demonstrate you've got a viable business model, but you've just got a heavy balance sheet. 
there's going to be a lot of strategically uh, strategic VAs done through this process um, and not wait until you get to September because still, there's still that sort of we'll help each other out through this process um, and then there's going to be a wave of VAs. If, you, if you're looking like having to do a VA, you actually want to do it between now and September, not wait till beyond. And, and, and it doesn't mean you the whole group goes into VA. You can do some you know, creative restructuring before that um, and then and then put, put some of those legacy entities through through a controlled VA process so you can you can right size the balance sheet and then emerge in September October with a really clean balance sheet and then and then be able to sort of take on your competitors in a much much better way. Well, that probably is a good segue into my next question around safe harbour. Mm. Um, we know that at the start of all of this uh, got extended to September. Mm. There was a lot of deferments uh, from banks, well debt deferments, landlords under the National Code of Conduct, mm. and, and also um, you know stat demands that didn't have to be answered for in that period of time. So mm. there was safe harbour in place before. COVID came, so I think yep. we've all done safe harbour to death. Yep. But my, I suppose, angle for today's um, podcast is more around what to do now. We're mm. three months in, as you've mentioned. We've gone three months to go or thereabouts till September. Mm. Um, not everyone's champing at the bit to, to, to wind everyone up, as you mentioned, because we're still all good mates and that's the Australian way. Mm. But I'm in, a, I'm in a business that I'm on JobKeeper, as an example. I'm, I've got debt deferrals. I've got rent deferrals with my landlords um you know i've got mortgage deferrals with the banks etc so i've 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 gone through that particular part i've I've done all of that at the start of the march april area and now i'm shitting down three months later going i'm still not sure Mm. what's going to happen now my business could be in any industry um Mm. you know each industry has an example like that there's other um bigger players that have already gone into VA or, like you said, talking about strategically doing a VA to get around all of this. Mm-hmm. So we've seen all the headlines. What should I be doing as a, as a client mm-hmm. and as a business owner to make sure that, A, I've got protection for my assets that yep. um, are currently I have, yep. um, but I may not after September. What should what should we be considering as um, business mm-hmm. owners in that respect? Yeah, I, I say in the... The government put in a moratorium on insolvent trading until September 25 of the years, um, as long as you're incurring debts in the ordinary course of business. So it's a pretty broad blanket and it's, it provides a lot of cover for a lot of businesses. Um, interestingly, um, and we've done 25 safe harbour engagements since it came in, thereabouts. All bar one continued with the safe harbour monitoring through and, and have continued with safe harbour monitoring all the way through, even though the moratorium kicked in. Um, around some trading. Um, we haven't seen uh, any new safe harbour engagements since because of that, but, but every business that got into it um, uh, you know, realised that it's actually just a really good rigour to, to stay uh, compliant with the safe harbour regime. Two reasons. One is um, there's going to be a rush to try and get safe harbour compliant again if, you, if you've dropped off before September. A lot of businesses are going to need one or two months to actually become safe harbour compliant before um, September rolls around. So you're going to see a, a significant uptick in safe harbour uh, inquiries from July. As though, again, the smarter ones realise, hey, September's going to be here before we know it, we better start getting all those systems in place to ensure that we're compliant. So our, our personal assets, as you say, aren't at risk. Um, but safe harbour, there was some legislation brought, that was brought in in, in March around anti-phoenixing as well, or just, you know, disposal of assets for undervalue uh, and 
So not only can the directors be sued for selling an asset for undervalue, but also their advisors and, and anyone else in and around that transaction. And the purchaser of that asset can also now be forced to give that back, even if, even if that was a total arm's length transaction. So, but one one uh, extension of Safe Harbour is that when this new uh, anti-Phoenix, anti-credit sort of disposition law came in, one of the um, protections is that if you're in Safe Harbour, that law doesn't kick in. So, and what you're going to see through this period and beyond is there's going to be a lot of assets sold uh, for, for working capital, right? Non-core assets or even core assets just to survive. And uh, there's going to be, you know, these, these sort of laws are always drafted, obviously, where someone's looking back retrospectively, such as a liquidator, to say, did you sell that asset for, for undervalue? So, and if they form the view that you have, well, you can then get sued personally. There's criminal issues, you know, criminal uh, implications as well. Um, so Safe Harbour provides protection for, for those types of transactions as well. So you're going to see, when I talk about distress M&A coming up, there's going to be a lot of um, assets sold where it's going to be very hard to prove that was it sold for market value in this climate. Very difficult. You had to do it for, even if it was sold to a third party, if, it, if, it's, a, if it's a genuine Phoenix disposition, well, that's no question. It should be, should be stamped down on. But, but a genuine sale to a third party, that could be deemed to be un, un, undervalued. Um, there's a, a world of hurt for the, for the directors, their advisors, and, and the buyer of that asset. The safe harbour provides protection for those types of transactions, which are going to be a plenty a lot of businesses in order to survive this process. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see an uptick in Safe Harbour from a, from a normal director protection point of view because September's coming around really fast. As I said, a lot of businesses will need one or two months to actually get plan and, and make sure that they're compliant with all the various uh, compliance procedures. Um, but, but for those that um, are looking at having to do some distressed M&A, they'll want to be in Safe Harbour uh, before, they, before they execute those transactions. Yeah, good one. Um, so now's the time, I suppose, to, to really look at business planning. I mean, it's in mm. the financial year, so it's quite common that people sit down and do something, but it's probably one of those years where we have to be a little bit more proactive yeah. uh, with respect to to what we want to do come FY21. Um, so for, I suppose, then the second half of the year as we come out, we've already touched a little bit on the September to February. Mm. Um calendar issues that may or may not arise what are you advising your clients um, and also you know your staff that, that are working with clients as well mm. i send the same message out to them is is the confidence there to and the clarity there um, in order for us to make informed decisions or, or or should we be i suppose bringing our action plans and our strategy plans back into a more agile 30 day plus sort of yeah you know, maneuvering style strategies in order to um, take into account the constant change. We have a budget in October, which mm-hmm. no one knows what's going to happen. We don't know um, with respect to a second wave, those sort of things. Just how adaptable and flexible do our strategy plans have to be? They they have to be very flexible. Um, as I said, this, this period is, is very, the way we're approaching is very similar to a normal turnaround, as I said before. You need to have, and, and finance, your financiers are going to be looking for this. Normally, you know, this time of year, you might be presenting you know, forecast financiers. In a normal sense, um, we have one one set of forecasts, one set of three-way forecasts, and 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 if they ask for it, you know, copy of your strap plan for the for the forthcoming year. We're big on one-page strap plans. Mm-hmm. 
because um, if you can get onto one page that you've got it really concise, um, then you have your, road, your roadmap on the back of that. But um, this time around, again, it's about how do you stand out from all of your competitors who are all going to be doing the same thing right now. You need to be able to demonstrate, and financiers are going to be asking for it, uh, is what what if you don't hit your current forecast? What's 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 plan B and what's plan C? And you need to have a three-way forecast that, that matches those three different scenarios. And then what does the plan look like on the back of each of those three, three, three scenarios? So that's how nimble you need to be. You need to basically have three strap plans, um, two at the very least, uh, with a three-way forecast that supports each of those. And it's really, you know, if we're 20% down, this is what we're going to be doing. If we're 30% down, this is what the plan is, as well as the three ways that support it. And if it's even more um, drastic than that, or the, the time to ramp up is longer, then what are those other strategic initiatives that are going to build, or they're going to form the basis of that strap plan? So your financier can go, these guys are on top of it. They've got three, three effectively strap plans, all, all variations on the main one, with three-way forecast showing us they can get through. Even if it means they have to sell off a division or a non-core asset or have some hard negotiations with some creditors and convert them to pref shares or, or, or equity or whatever, but they've thought through all the, the, the full gambit of, of strategic options to fix their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're, they're going to be the ones that survive. So you know, have definitely have a strap plan and a three-way forecast, but have those plan B and plan C based around the, the, the one or two big changes that might hit your business. For most, this is going to be a revenue thing. It's going to be a revenue metric. Is it down 20, 30, 40%? Mm-hmm. Um, the other one you want to build in is your data book. All data books are going to blow out. Uh, again, unless you're in one of those lucky industries where you're working for councils and, and the like who have actually been buffeted with, with, with capital from, from, from state and federal governments so they can pay quickly. So as I said, some of our clients are actually in the best cash position they've been in because they, 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 they strategically align themselves with councils years ago so they've actually, and they'll, they'll fly through this process. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's they're the lucky ones. Um, so when you're doing your stress testing, it, it's about showing your financiers or your, your shareholders, if you're listed, whatever, that you've thought about every combination of what this ramp-up phase is going to look like and you've got a strategic plan to suit. And you've already thought in advance what those uh, initiatives are going to be uh, and the timetable to implement them, what cost it's going to take to implement those initiatives, what finance facilities you need, as I said before, there is capital there. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines and they're trying to work out uh, is now the time to get in and which ones are going to be the winners. So, so if you can demonstrate uh, how your business is, is, is going to pivot, as you said before, but have you thought about all the possible outcomes through, and the way you demonstrate that is your you one-page strap plan, your three-way forecasts, and, and what does that stress test look like? Um, they're, they're the ones that are going to actually get the capital they need to perhaps avoid having to sell an asset or two. Good one. But very nimble, um, and that's going to be the pattern for the next 12 months. A lot more nimble, a lot more dynamic uh, than a normal. You're going to be consistently reforecasting. So there's a lot of businesses, as you know, might reforecast once a year. Mm-hmm. They might have an annual strategy session. Yep. You're having rolling monthly, at least, uh, strategy mm-hmm. sessions because the, the environment's so dynamic. But again, if you've got a board and a management team that is is nimble enough to be able to have those strategic, maybe an hour a month or two hours a month, but just constantly checking in with your customers, your suppliers, your financiers, making sure that you're, you're identifying those green shoots that you talked about before, and have you got a finance facility that's going to be adaptable to that really rapidly changing environment. Some are going to grow really quickly, 
Some are going to stay static for the next six, 12 months, and others are going to decline. Uh, so if you're in a business that's declining, debt of finance is going to kill you. Um, so again, it's trying to work out which of those three scenarios is going to be the most likely outcome. And then having a strategy to suit, a, a suite of finance facilities to suit, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and constant communication. In the previous podcast, you talked about the need for really constant daily communication to your workforce. That's going to be so key because it comes back into that model that I talked about. There's 50% of what we do is stakeholder management, and your employees are a big part of that. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I think we all forget at times that a lot of staff have, have not done well through this process. Some handle stress better than others, and there's going to be a lot of them that are looking to the leaders in the business to actually show them the way, um, whereas others are very robust and they can just get on with it. So you're going to need to have a really dynamic um, sort of employee engagement model as well on the way through. Because as we know, when businesses go really, really quickly, uh, that puts a lot of stress on, on the workforce as well, which can then turn into product issues and product recalls. And, and that's the last thing you need as you're kind of coming out of this process. So really hands-on, walk the floor every day kind of approach to your workforce. So at least that's one thing you can kind of count on to be there and then just focus on sales or trying to bring them top line. Good one. Well, we've covered a fair bit today um, and I thank Michael for all of that but people like three dot points right mm. these sort of things so if I'm a if, if you could leave three points doesn't have to be in order of preference or, or priority but what would be the three most important things that as a business owner now that I can take away from this podcast mm. go sit down at a desk or on my whiteboard and say these are the three things I now have to look at consider and action mm. I would Ensure that you are spending 50% of your time on managing your stakeholders. Um, absolutely. So that's your customers, unions, staff, suppliers, financiers. Just spend 50% of your time as a senior leadership to make sure that you are spending that amount of time. Because uh, that will come the intel that you, that you need and the support. Um, your one-page stroke plan and three-way forecasts. Absolutely critical. Um, and uh, that... Without that, you, you just you, you really roll, roll the dice uh, because business conditions are changing so rapidly. If you don't have those two basic fundamental tools in place, and, and, and tied in with that, you have heard of cash flow. Um, and then the third would be, um, it all comes back into strategy. What are those one to two big changes in strategy that we would we would make to make our business more robust on the flip side? Great. Well, that's been fantastic, Michael. Uh, thanks for coming in and sharing your wealth of knowledge from uh, years and years that we've known each other and also Vantage Performance. Uh, They've saved many businesses and many jobs as we alluded to in our introduction. So thank you and we'll uh, catch up with everyone at our next podcast in the near future. Goodbye. Thank you. For anyone listening seeking accounting, taxation and business advisory support, please feel free to get in contact with Archie Gowell and Chartered Accountants. Led by Ian Walker and Smiljan Jankovic, we're a Brisbane-based accounting firm with offices in the Brisbane CBD and the Gold Coast. You can get in contact with us via our website, archigowland.com.au, social media platforms, or by phone on 07 3002 2699.